0: you thanks for tuning into the waiting list podcast i'm long long i'm daniel and i'm Jacqueline, and we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches
1: so sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors industry giants and share some good vibes hey good morning or good evening wherever you may be uh it's actually good evening for us uh for dedication you know it's 11 p.m um (laughs) That's dedication for this pod, which also means, you know, that it's very early for our guest. Um, But to all the listeners, hope it will be a great day for you. Um, Today is the second part of Spanish Rob's episode. If you haven't listened to the first one, then we strongly recommend you go back. um, And it basically discusses Rob's previous life as a salesperson and his career and the ins and outs of that. Um, This episode, we focus on a different topic. The independence All right but um actually you know before we start right one of the questions in the last episode I wanted to ask you but I didn't have time to ask you because I knew it would just open up a new thing was <laughs> personally I remember in our pre-call, you said that um you took a hiatus in your sales career and went to Rome and you said like it changed your life Would you be able to share like how and why that changed your life? What did you learn? Um,
2: It's it's not anything too profound because I was in my mid twenties and it was just living abroad and understanding different cultures and meeting people from different cultures. I lived and worked with, excuse me. I lived and worked with people from Australia and all different parts of Europe and from all over the world. And these people came like my family, we lived and worked together. Um, and just it was a very transformative part of my life in my mid-20s. I came back with a greater knowledge of the world. I met the CEO. He was an Italian man who gave me a chance because I knew a little bit of Italian. And uh, I ran a boutique uh, on Fifth Avenue for a little bit uh, when I was doing that. And t- to ultimately okay. go, uh, work for Patek Philippe.
1: All right, shit, I fucked up there. So we can cut that out later. <laughs> 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 All right. <clears throat> right, anyway, let's uh get into the main part of this which is how have your tastes evolved personally? You know, you, you sold these things, uh watches. What were you into and then what did you gravitate to?
2: So, um in the last in the last session, thanks for having me back by the way. This is this is great. Uh it's an honor. Um I mentioned about like there was a, when I asked you guys a question about there's a watch I think everyone sees for the first time, like the first luxury watch and they say, Oh my God, I love that. And I want that. And I feel like when we think about that first watch compared to where our journey is now, it's always like a a big difference. And my first watch that I fell in love with when I went to the watch store, when I like worked at the watch store, was a Zenith Chronomaster open XXT, which is a huge 45 millimeter watch. But I think I was just enamored by the open. Yeah. It's just, it has the open dial Mm -hmm. where you can see the escapement. Um, and it's more of a dress watch. And over the years, I've realized I'm hard on watches and I'm definitely more of a sports watch guy. Mm. So I'm more of a diver. I want something that's robust, something that I can beat up. <laughs> I have an IDC Aqua Time or Galapagos because it's completely covered in rubber. <laughs> the entire thing is com- covered in rubber. So it's like, pretty it's pretty uh it's it's not prone to get scratched obviously so that's like the direction I've went in I've gone into dive watches and such don't get me wrong I still love a good complication and uh I have watched all of my watches don't have dive bezels but um I definitely went in that direction over the years of my uh of my growth and understanding what I like and what I like to wear I think somewhere in there I was like oh you know what I don't really wear my vintage watches as much or I don't wear my dressier watches as much um, sometimes there's a there's a time and place for it, but I definitely kind of evolved from that dressy open dial Zedith mm. to um, some dressier things. Even I say that now as I'm wearing a, a Vincent Calabresi, which is more of a dress watch. Um,
1: oh, you got a Vincent Calabresi.
2: Yeah. That's that that, right. That, that, that takes me to where I am in my journey now, which is funny because Omar, uh, who you just had recently, mm. we, would always, we would always chat about the journey and how people go from I am doing a Rolex or I'm a Patek guy. Or you're like, you go from a Seiko, you've seen that meme, the, the flow chart of like, maybe you start with Seikos and tags and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And then you eventually get to a point where you're like, oh, I hate watches, I'm going to sell my watches. Then you become a, I'm a five watch person or I'm a one watch person. Like there's a journey that people go yeah. on. And then after that, you get your senses about, you're like, you know what? I want something really rare and unique. And either you're getting custom paddocks or you're getting custom independent brands. And some of the collectors that have been around since before, all of us, are the guys who were tapping in on Lutalanen and Philip DeFore and all that way before it was cool, way before anyone knew. And that's like the upper echelon of like the evolution of a collector where you say, I want something so rare unique. I want it to be custom made for me or from a custom watchmaker. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I am at now in my journey. I get it. I get why people want this rare stuff. It's a little harder now, obviously.
1: Yeah, that was actually my second question. Like which, what actually pushed your interest into independence? What, what do you think that is particularly with you?
2: <clears throat> well, uh, for reference, I'll give you an example. I i have a weird journey. And I mean, I my first Swiss watch was a Movado Sapphire, and then my first automatic was a Bright Colt cult that I got when I first started working at Tornado. And I learned about Protect Fleet from my mentor and I learned about all the different brands, but I was never called because I'm such a I'm definitely such a non-conformist, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, that I never got into Rolex. Um, I didn't get my first Rolex until like a few years ago. And this is like 17 years into collecting um you know I got to protect philippe because I worked for them you know way like a decade ago way before I got my first rolex which is not it's very unorthodox it's not the typical mm-hmm. you know direction of how you do this mm-hmm. so um ultimately I would go from okay I went I did the 5711 and I had that like back in the early 2000s so like where do you go from there ultimately after um protect philippe and I worked for watch time magazine I got into the journalism side of the world. I actually got there through running the department for uh, an auction house. I was the head of watches for America for a, a, a company that was here in the States briefly based out of Germany. And after that, that led me to the journalism aspect, <clears throat> excuse me. And I would go to World. and it was through that going to World and, and something I had dreamed of for you know a, a long time at this point, I think 10 years at this point of being in the industry. It was such a dream to go and i went alongside my hero joe thompson uh who is always like you know an industry like legend and someone i got to you know meet once or twice at at an event throughout the years but then working with him uh and going to interviews with him and, and doing the social media and you know i spent half the time there i was working as press but i was and I would go with all the meetings to them to different things, um, and then I would go do everything else. I I would be there from the very first moment that it opened with the press, and then stayed till the very very last moment that it closed after everyone had left because I was so anxious to see all the new models and new the new watch brands, brands that I may have saw in an ad somewhere, obscurely, but never even heard of or got to touch or see. So that interest is what led me to kind of really fall in love with independence because then I met Moser. And I went to their museum, I mean, I went to the the museum and their factory back then. Um, And uh, that was amazing. They picked me up and took me and it was uh, from the train station. And uh, I learned so much about that independent brand and how young it was. And then I I met a lot of different brands like Grunenfeld, And I met, you know, AHCI um, was a huge opening to me uh, for all the world of independence and the people who made such an impact on the independent world today. And we see it now in 2022 how it's just blown up, and people know about the GP the GPHG awards, and people, you know, pay attention to independent watch brands when they're winning all the stuff, and and that's such a difference than just a few years ago. Um, and uh, like Steve Halleck, who's definitely a hero, and listening to him on the podcast, seeing how he had just gone there right before, you know, it it struck mm-hmm. big, and meeting these collectors like Gary Getz. And, uh, you know, the California seven and and a lot of these guys who were collecting custom futilenans before it was cool. It just, it opened up a world, excuse me, it opened up a world where I was just so enamored by the possibilities of what's out there and how different and how handmaking, how handmade finishing was um, such a divider of the mainstream of the things you can just buy off the shelf.
1: I, I don't know about like my knowledge on this, right? So I'm asking the question genuinely, like. Um, these like Vutilanans and OroWork and MBNF and Richard Mill, all these kind of independent brands that came up, right? It's about 20 years ago, which is maybe a bit more, right? Why is it that there weren't independent brands like <clears throat> before that? You know, why weren't there watchmakers like coming out and, or were there, you know, watchmakers that were coming out and trying to establish their brand 20 years before that? Because it, it's just a watchmaker like making their brand right why is it why was it at that point that so many people so many watchmakers decided to do their independent brand
2: um well the story and you know a collected man you can read all about on there because they do some of the best coverage uh a collected man uh and they talk a really really good they have really good stories on daniel roth um Mm. and uh you know who was one of those innovators one of those pinnacle guys you know 10 20 years before jorn And a lot of other people who were those people who took a chance and made a watch brand, you know, with their name on it. And Daniel Roth is probably the the grandfather of that. Um, And the founder, it was it was in the '70s or was the '70s '80s. I can't remember exactly. Um, But it was it was back then when these group of independent watchmakers decided we need to collaborate and kind of like make a name for ourselves, and created the. AHCI, the Academy Hall of Independence. Mm-hmm. And Sven Anderson, Anderson Genev is an is independent watch brand that I work with today. They, you know, Sven was one of the founders. Vincent Calabrese, who I'm wearing on my wrist right now, was one of those people um, who decided, okay, we need to kind of collect, put, put our heads together and be this kind of, you know, we need to. Defend for ourselves and like be these brands and like kind of have more resources. And Daniel Wellington, uh, Daniel I'm sorry. <laughs> Daniel Roth. Oops. <laughs> Oops. We were talking about that in the last episode. Um, I'm holding a Daniel Roth right now in my hand. Um, because and it how important it is this independent watch brand? Because he was like the pioneer and he was kind of uh he was only there for so long, you know, but he like had Philip DeFour help him with his perpetual calendar. And he was the guy who said, okay, I'm going to put my name on a, on a brand and actually try to make this work 20 years before it was possible. And, you know, he did it for a couple of years and sold the brand, you know um, because it wasn't an easy feedback then. Um, and it took a long time. I mean, it just feels like yesterday talking to Max booster and like a, at a dinner and he was telling a story about how he got started and how he was two weeks short of closing his doors because he had spent all this money on making two movements. And he's like, we're, I almost I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. It was, he was a, he was a barely 20-person operation, what feels like yesterday. And he's like, I could barely afford to fit to pay my staff. Like, I I basically don't take a salary. Like, we're, we're, we're on, like, the knife's edge of shutting our doors if we don't, like, actually sell all these watches. Um, and that was what feels like just yesterday. So it, even up till just recently, brands, independent watchmakers, struggled uh, to sell watches. And it was extremely difficult. Um, so I get why there wasn't a lot of, people don't know about them and until recently and a lot of them Mm -hmm. yeah
1: in terms of Daniel Roth right I don't know if you've heard anything about this but I've heard rumors going on that Bulgari may launch it as an independent brand again have you heard anything about that
2: yeah uh I don't know uh, Arnaud or the the guy one of the sons of the of the owner of, of uh LC uh LVMH just posted an image and supposedly um from what I've heard, just from, I don't know anything official, supposedly it's happening. And it's, I think he plans on staying close to the original. I think that's what what is speculating right now. I think they're, they're thinking that it's going to come close. I actually did a poll on this last week and asked, uh, I surveyed the people on Instagram, would they like to see a slight variation in innovation, like, would they be okay if they made a, a modern version and modern twist of the older things, or if they wanted to keep it very, very similar, they wanted to not change at all, or were they just upset whether, were they just upset that they're going to launch the brand? Uh, and the majority of the people had said that they were okay with like minimal uh, innovation, like modern innovation, like, uh, so I'm hoping that they do something, keep it very close to what it was, Um, but definitely innovate and make it new. I don't want, I don't want a carbon copy of something that was made in, you know, 1996. Uh, but I get some people Mm. do, but I just Mm. feel like that, that influence that changes, uh, vintage and, and, and pre-owned pieces. And it changes that whole market by doing Mm. that. So I'm hoping they do.
1: Mm. How do you actually work with the independents? Well, like what do they ask you to do in your consultancy job?
2: Um, It ranges from anything and everything. From it ranges from uh, hosting events and putting watches in people's hands and cultivating a group, depending on where I am in the world, in whatever city, um, to helping them with marketing and strategy and clients and uh, one-on-one with clients, bringing watches to people. But it it varies. I've worked with a lot of different um, independent watch brands, but also retailers and watch-related companies.
1: And it always yeah. Which independence do you think like? You really like affiliated to, like you love, and can't wait um, to see their new products.
2: Um, it's hard to say. Um, I'm actually hosting an event with uh an independent. Uh, that I'm hosting an event uh in the first week of December in New York City. Reach out to me if you're if you're around. Um, and I'm so excited about what they've been doing because they make 3D printed cases. Uh, and they've just evolved so much in the last so many years. And I'm always excited to see how they develop the new movements and the finishing and how they've evolved from a small little what micro brand to an actual independent brand. Um I, I wasn't gonna say the name, but there's other independent brands that I love seeing the progress being made, even everything from just MBNF, how they've evolved so much. Um I it was very curious to see how a Group of 4Z would evolve. And I'm not mad at them kind of taking a run at Richard Mille and becoming, you know, I talked to the CEO and asked him, you know, I, you're obviously clearly making sports watches like you're, 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 which is a smart pivot into a brilliant business move to go from these larger dress watches and pivot to, you know, tailor the cases that are more curved that like fit streamline with this rubber strap and really kind of go on, go against that market, which is a huge market segment, but now you're making a, a small batch of watches that are even more elusive. Uh, and, 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 a, and the same price point that those go for in the secondary market. So now you have an equal competitor, which was a brilliant move. And I asked him, I'm like, are you going to scale up? And he said, yes. And I was like, is that okay to tell the public? Can I, can I honestly say that? And he said, yes. It's not a secret because even if we went from making 100 to 500 watches it's still an incredibly small amount of watches and i was like do you worry about the about the um the capabilities or the quality control if you're going to scale that dramatically which you know it's a lot for any brand uh he said no we are capable of doing it and they've expanded and they've invested a lot of money into expanding their facilities and, and capabilities to do that and that's a brand that i'm really excited to see grow and develop um and making 500 watches a year which they don't do currently which they are planning on doing you know they still want grubel here right yeah grubel um i'm still very very excited to see how they evolve and grow and i'm i'm i welcome them pivoting and i love that max is doing the same with sport gear watches because it just makes good business sense it's the same way all the box brands decided to make integrated sports models because they understood that the market was, there was such a demand for it. And they went that direction the same way the independents are starting to pivot and go from these independent watch brands used to be dress watches. And now they're starting to pivot into the sports category because that's good business sense. It makes sense. And that's what the market demands for in this era. And it won't always be the same. And I, I, uh, I think people will go back and buy the sporty Daniel Ross from the two thousands that nobody wanted and the, there was a there was an era there's sporty um zeniths, you know that people just overlooked because it was just the wrong time mm. so people will go back and i i look forward to see what independents do
1: mm. right so talking about still talking about independence FPJ exploded kind of in the last two years right um i know a lot of the collectors they're kind of like waiting to see which is the next brand which is an independent brand become popular who in your mind do you think that one that's going to happen and two if it is going to happen which brands do you think are best lined to do that
2: i can tell you what uh well there's a lot to be said about that and and jorn was something that you could easily predict and see the writing on the wall because there was a time in the mid tooth in the in the teens where you knew they only produced 800 watches or it was a, it was a it was a it was a fact that people threw around all the time so you knew as this hobby was growing which no one expected in 2017 2018 for it to blow up the way you know, to for the internet to finally catch up, and then the demand outweigh the supply, it was something like the writing was on the wall with Jorn that we knew that it was going to be something else hard to get one day, um, and some people understood this and like bought up everything they could, um, and that that was just that was such a big deal for 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 Jorn that it becomes now an untouchable thing, and it it it's because of the actual production number and then reaching a certain mass. That to say, okay, we know this is going to be a big thing. Not everyone's going to try to hoard it, which is what people have been trying to do with every other brand from like Vacheron to um, every independent brand. That's become so incredibly hard. Uh, Grunfeld makes something and they're like, oh, we we now we just we have orders for the next several years. Like we just can't keep up. Um, and, this, and as this happens, people keep going to the more obscure. People keep bleeding out into... These independent, like these just single watchmakers, these kids, these young guys who make things um, that people haven't even heard of. And um, Marco from Swiss Watch Gang, when he first came to the scene, I met him, his first Baselworld World ever, uh, just bright eyed and bushy tailed. And we went and saw a bunch of independent brands together. And we met through Marco, um, we met Gail Peterman, who was just a watchmaker at Anderson Geneve, which is the brand that I work with now because we met him that time and we've worked with them for a while uh gal branched off and started his own brand called peterman dot and they are young hopeful watchmakers him and florian uh who started such an amazing model and the first model was you know they came out and it, it looked amazing and it wasn't if it wasn't for the help of a of a collector uh gary gets who kind of gave them the pointers or, or was one of the people to suggest like changing the dial, which really made the watch what it is and won a GPHG award. So kudos to Gary and the team for everyone who like helped out and kind of made that a thing. They, their first, their freshman album basically came out and won an award. It was just that good. And they are people that like those watchmakers are the ones to watch. Um, The guys that are fresh out of school or have like 10 years of training and they're starting to make their own stuff. That's what everyone's been kind of like eyeing. And there's watchmakers that I discover every day, I had no idea of, and I'm like, Oh, everyone else has already followed them. I'm so behind. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, there's already yeah. like 3000 of like yeah. my peers yeah. that are already even following them and like commenting on stuff from like years ago. I'm like, Oh, I, geez, I'm behind. There's so many, yeah. so many watchmakers. Personally, the watch I'm wearing is Vincent Calabresi. He's one of the founders of the HCI and he's what I considered one of the um, it's one of the the brands that just never took off. His, his own personal stuff just never really took off. And it's such an amazing watch for the price point. So for me, I'm like, I hope this takes off. I want this to take off. Uh, I bought a couple of these just because I found them really well-priced. And it's it's a lot of innovation for a little bit of money. Yeah. But there's it, there's independent watch brands out there to,
1: to be had. Yeah, he Vincent is such a charming man with his uh, wife. You know, they go on like a little trunk shows and he's speaking to them. And you can see the passion and, you know, he's not the... You know, I hope he doesn't mind me saying he's not the youngest um, guy right now, but yet he's still so full of like energy and that enthusiasm. It, it's just very infectious. I, I loved it. We had him at Shanghai Watch Festival, and it's such a pleasure to do. It's such a charming man. You know,
2: wow. I've not met him yet. Yeah. That's, that seems that seems amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you know, you're talking about like there's lots of now. The craze is independent brands, right? And there's lots of people that are coming in, and 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 you know, people think it's almost like the more unheard of yeah, is actually a selling point is a very attractive point but you know there's also a risk isn't there with independent brands is that they don't last right so what would you advise people to look out for if they were looking for this kind of stuff and also on top of that sorry this is a multi-layered question now but you mentioned that a lot of independents they have a lot of orders Lasting them for years, right? Some are going into like five, six, seven years, right? And to be honest, I also think that a lot of independent brands they give you that time frame, and I actually don't think they'll deliver in that time frame. Mm-hmm. I think they'll deliver way more, right? How? What is the future? You know, for for these watch brands, you know, because they have to be able to find a way of fulfilling that demand when a lot of these people are just like a, like you said, a kid or a, or a young just a single operation kind of guy or like a handful of guys, you know, what do you have to be careful of and what's the future?
2: The the, the actions that every brand take, like right now, recent, in the next couple of years is going to very much determine whether they're going to collapse or whether they're going to become a bigger brand or what their their branding is going to be. And I think some people have it in them to scale up. Some don't and shouldn't. And some are just not going to work out. and They're going to collapse based off of certain variables, um, like watches being too large in an era when watches are getting smaller. And that's been true for a lot of different brands. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of independent brands fly very close to the sun and almost completely evaporate from your Devathun and your Elrond who were almost gone, you know, at one point, and thankfully had a huge comeback because of the rise of the independence in the last couple of years. Um, but going further in the future, depending on if the variables that every brand take align with the current trend, which I think they're going to be fine for a while right now because it, people are looking outwards outside of Rolex and Paddock and people are looking outside of the main brands because they can't even get Vacherons anymore. They are looking towards the independence. I think they're going to be okay for a while and it just depends. So there's certain brands that need to hold steady. Certain certain independent brands need to not mu- not let greed uh consume them and expand and make too many watches. I think there's some brand Can you be
1: specific. Uh, you name the brands that you think.
2: I i can't think of one specifically. I'm thinking of a brand like Gronenfeld who I love and it's like one of my favorite when their their 1941 Romantois is probably one of the most one of my most favorite movements mm. ever made. Um, and I, I love the brothers in that brand so much. And they are a good example of a brand that has, should get the recognition they're getting finally, and they can expand if they do it correctly and incrementally. And some brands are getting new um, workshops and it makes sense because they have to scale incrementally. So they'll get a new workshop and they'll add so many new watchmakers. So maybe they can increase the production because the demand is there. And I think they're safe to say that unless there's a, uh, a devastating recession that kind of levels things for the next decade. I think they'll be okay, and I think they're they're going to have enough. They have such a long list of people that want their stuff that they'll be all right. I think they're they're doing the right thing because it's an incremental kind of growth. There's other brands that grow way too fast too soon, and they're taking the biggest gamble by like like who? <laughs> no, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't say. <laughs> I mean, we've seen things in the past. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of mainstream brands in the past. And I'm hoping there's there's some there there's always that independent or that that random company that you're just like, why would they do that? Why would they make that many watches and why would they do that? I mean, we saw Romain Jerome fall, you know, we saw um we saw HYT come and, and go and come back now. And I like what Dave is doing. And I I I hope I give him all the luck in the world that uh you know, there are people who want bigger watches and that they're going to go for it and that that the company survives this round of like, okay, we're we're coming back with a newer design and we're going to be more focused on on horology, but still a large watch. For me, if I think- It's massive. It is massive. And I feel like if they're going to stay in the game, they need, because I've talked to them so many times in the past, the previous owners, and I was like, is there a possibility to shrink down this technology? And they're like, we're working on it. (laughs) This is years ago. They're like- we want to, we understand we're working on it, but it's very difficult, we're not, not there yet. So if they can get, they can pass that hump where they finally figure out how to make that movement smaller and do the, the hydro like movement, like in a smaller case and a smaller scale, I think they'll survive. I think they, they can have both, but I think it's a little risky. I,
1: I think we mentioned a few brands here, like Lauren Ferrier, right? Oh. I think hmm. I think it's, um, it's one of those brands when like, I would put with fpj right there was a time where i put them on par like as a collector i used to look at the both of them and think oh, okay one of these might actually do well and i feel it's such a shame that lauren ferrier kind of because the watch and the story behind it is is such great you know the finishing on the early stuff is just amazing right it's it's on par with what it's a very similar product offering i would say to fp Gen. and it's mm-hmm. you see how fp Gen have made the right decisions on the like very good management and being where they are now right And you see Lauren Ferrier kind of just there's the collectors that love Lauren Ferrier. They so want it to do well, you know. They love they they know where it is and they so want it to do well, right? Yeah. But it's just not like it will take a lot of the damage that decisions when decisions are made. They take years to restore that consumer confidence, right? Unfortunately, and it's whether you yeah have that time and then what you said about Hyt that watch yeah it, it, its main thing is it's huge and the second thing i would say is i remember seeing that watch in i think it was at oriental in hong kong where they had quite a few independent brands including like mbnf and uh christof clare and things like that right and i remember looking at that watch thinking the price they're asking for isn't correct like it that like, should be cheaper right? It's not on par with the finishing that is, and it's evident, you know, like I don't think it's difficult to see, you know, the construction, the build quality wasn't what like an MBNF was, or, or even a Christophe Clare and the other pieces were right. And, and another thing I think with HYT was the selling point of an HYT was that the liquid thing, right? But once you had one piece, you didn't need a second piece because the technology was the same but they just put a skull on it or, or something like this right and it's still equally huge right um and i remember like i remember like this brand and and i remember asking like when one of my friends actually asked who was thinking about buying one he was like what happens if the glass breaks right and the sales rep didn't have an answer to it and i think it's a really really like it's a it's a question that most people would ask. You know, the, the whole thing's made out of glass, right? If I smash it on on the on the, on the, on an edge, right? I think which is by the way a common thing. You know, you're gonna you're gonna hit your watch, right? Most of the time, it's oh, metal; yeah. it's gonna ding. Oh yeah, well, what's gonna happen to the crystal? You know, <laughs> I think it's a really valid question, and the sales wasn't ready for it. And so yeah, those are those. That's my opinion of. I agree with you, by the way, though. If the HYT was smaller right way more wearable it's pretty cool like you change the color and one of the things is you know if you've made it into nightclubs and people are showing it off then you know you've you're gonna, you're struck gold. you know if people are like doing that hammer movement in the clubs right and you can see this hyt with the fluorescent like colored fluid and it's a wearable and then you know oh he's got the red fluid oh that's the latest one that's the I don't know a million <laughs> million US one, right? You know, just as you now you see a Richard Mille with a smiley face, you go, oh, he's got the smiley face, yeah, or he's got the Pharrell <laughs> one, right? Like, yeah. you'd think, yeah, if they if they could really do that, that 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 might actually kind of work. I I
2: think they have an uphill battle, and I think that the market that they're trying to target is fine with really big watches. So I get why they felt like, oh, we can do this, and we should do this because there's a huge market share for those guys who buy the Royal Oak offshores who buy the, you know, the Richard meals and the group of four So like, they're like, yeah, we should play in this pool. There's plenty of space. So I get it. Cause they, they can do it. They just need to make, get more market share. They just need to uh, be known for it. But I think they're trying to go towards the, should we appeal more towards uh, horologists like people who are actually into watches, you know, and, and there's, I think they're they struggle with like, which way do they go? And I get that because Grubel is the same way. Grubel is like, we have the market on being horologically important. Now let's go towards the, you know, the, the people, the trendy, sporty, large watch crowd. So I, I get it. I get yeah. why would do that.
1: Yeah. Like when you were talking about like, uh, which independent brands, you know, could be set up or positioned well, right. To survive and then significantly progress. I think one thing that we also have to think about is like the marketing aspect. You know, a lot of these watchmakers are watchmakers, right? They, they, They are great at making the pieces, maybe not so great at building a brand, which is actually where a significant amount of value is. You know, when they get bought, it's because, you know, somebody looked at that brand and saw the potential. And obviously, yeah, you can increase the production number, you know, but... Most of the time, like you mention, is once you increase the production number, the quality, the QC is very hard to maintain to, you know, when you're just doing like a limited run of 50 or or 100 pieces. Um, and what sells the, that increase in production is the brand, you know, because people want to be part of that brand. Right. So. So, yeah, I I'm not sure there's many, many independent watchmakers that can make that leap into the correct branding that correct communication with their target demographic right now they've just got like a huge amount of orders there's one thing fulfilling orders and then growing with like growing the brand isn't there
2: it is and it takes sometimes just bootstrapping it takes so many years of just working hard and just being there and being there and being there for people to finally take notice and you make one watch that people are just like oh actually and they sell out that one model and that kind of is the beginning of their journey, even if it takes 10, 15 years. I think Max is a great example of like, here's a guy who did what he wanted and made these incredibly very limited specific watches for a small, tiny group of people. And he came full circle when he finally made a round watch, which is kind of more for everyone, like around where everyone could find appealing. And it wasn't until then that people were just like actually started taking them seriously and then looking at them and for him to do the exact opposite of what his entire company was based off of. Everyone thought he was mad. Everyone's like, that's crazy. Don't make a round watch. Like that's exactly the opposite of what you've been doing for the last almost 10 years. Did you do that
1: liberally and say everybody thought he was mad?
2: Yeah. Everyone was just, he would tell he tells a story. He says, everyone thought I was crazy for trying to make a round watch. And it was that decision. I very strongly believe, and I think he will agree, he'll tell you that it it's sort of, I don't say it saved the business, but there were times where like, I thought he's like, he would say in, in stories, if anyone's had a dinner or lunch with him or, or met him, he'll tell you the story about how like, we almost had to shut the doors because we didn't think we were going to be able to survive unless mm-hmm. we sold these units. The mm-hmm. LM came out, it ended up becoming a huge uh, you know, uh, success and he sold all of them and they could keep going. And then that helped develop a line of LMs, but also new hm mm. models and variants so it, it depends on how people pivot and what they do and the timing it can help you know reach that brand uh, reach that status where they're going to survive
1: yeah do you do you think like chanel's interest in um well part acquisition of fb Gen gave i mean you didn't mention them but watchbox the confidence to basically stock up
2: um i don't I think it was partially that. And I think it was partially that if you had the the funds and if you were in a position to to gobble up an independent brand that you thought was going to be successful or more rare in the future, I think it was smart. And it was not the it wasn't the hardest decision to see the writing was on the wall. Jordan was clearly only making 800 pieces a year. And it was only a matter of time before they were going to be the new, the it watch. And I know that uh, the Gutbergs, I remember being with them at a, at a at a Basel and I remember Brian going around and be like, do you have any Jordans for sale? I need to buy all the Jordans. I need to buy every single And I remember and this was, you know, like a few years before the rush. And and I was like, oh, they know something. And they were very eager to, to buy all of them and get the market share on it and create the demand. Um, but they didn't, it was going to happen. It was, it
1: was, it was inevitable. Did you, did you take that advice though and get one yourself? No, unfortunately, I was never in a
2: place to just go get one, and I'm I'm kicking myself now for buying for not getting a CB when people were my friends were getting them at retail, <laughs> and and it's even and people were selling them for like flipping them for like one or two thousand dollars more, and yeah. we were just like, oh, that's crazy! I would never pay seventeen for that fifteen thousand dollars <laughs> yeah. CB. That's nuts. That's that, these guys, and then and you know, in hindsight, we had no idea what was gonna happen, but we did see in real time. As you know, they were capitalizing. and like, okay, we're gonna buy up every single one we can because that was the easiest answer. If there was gonna be, like, I don't think any most of us saw how large the the buying group of people buying watches was gonna translate to in the late teens because of the revolution of of technology in the watch field. We didn't. We knew it was happening slowly, and when Patek and Rolex joined instagram like we saw it happening but we didn't expect it to be like now you can't even get a, a, a an independent brand because that combined with hadinki starting to make limited editions they did it with with uh with f for the first one and then they would start they do something with Gronenfeld and they gave him the bump you know the brothers very much are grateful to like hadinki for doing that limited edition because before that they still had watches on the shelves you know and then once they had that bump the hadinki bump as a lot of these brands call it you know, they were flying off the shelves and they had orders for years. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah.
1: I was going to ask, you know, as a previous career as a proper salesman on the floor, right? Do you have a lot of contacts in the salespeople so that you can get stuff? Um, I'm an opportune buyer. So I definitely,
2: definitely only buy things if it's a good deal because I'm not a wealthy person. So like when I bought my Rolex, I bought it because someone I, one of my best friends was working for Rolex and I got it for like half off.
1: Um, Can you be my best friend? (laughs)
2: yeah we'll have to we'll have to by the way
1: can you get a Wimbledon 36 millimeter
2: (laughs) um probably I don't think it's that hard for most people to get Rolexes now there's there's so many more did you hear that long (laughs) I think it's possible I just got I I I got lucky and I and I bought um I bought a, a Wimbledon for a friend at an airport that I just happened to run across I've it was a 41 millimeter unfortunately though had I known I would have given it to you um but I just, okay. you're, 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 you're able to find them. Things are, yeah. things are changing and, uh, they're getting, I think Rolex is catching up and I think, uh, there's a little more stock. I saw some people post that there's a, uh, like three complicated paddocks in a, in a boutique they're like, oh my God, these three watches are here. Or like, if you want them, like hit me up or like, you know, hit them up, go to this AD they're, they're, they're becoming more readily available, thankfully. okay. I think are- you, need, you
1: need to try harder long.
0: Yeah, but I'm definitely taking his advice about um, being friendly and bringing in food and stuff. So, <laughs> I <laughs> do
1: you know what I know why you think that long because you think if I sit there with the meeting, I don't have to talk to them. Like, I no, could spend this time eating as well, like, kill no, two I'm birds with one Go stone, and right? drop
0: it off and then leave. Okay.
1: What are you going to drop off?
0: Like, some bread or something or cake. But you know what really shocked me, by the way, in the last episode was more that like rob really likes food <laughs> like <laughs> well we did say
1: he looks like yeah. hugh jackman who loves food <laughs> i'll go with that i'm still very much a compliment i'll take it <laughs> yeah um yeah back to independence though uh you mentioned we met, we talked about fbj and the godberg family like stocking up you know two years ahead and stuff now Debbie has been purchased essentially by watchbox they control like the production my understanding is they're going to uh, like elevate the production significantly um then obviously you know hype up the, the demand for it so the secondary market is strong you know is that the next next it brand know because i heard Um, also that uh, michael jordan's going to be marketing it as well next year so it's it's it was a brilliant so
2: i very much take the side of the consumer but i represent the the business and i've been in the industry for so long that i i'm always looking at you know everyone's best interest as a business but i also very much in my own personal voice, when I talk, I'm very much on the side of the consumer. So this is both good and bad, obviously. So this is really good as a business. It makes complete sense for them to to acquire a, a portion because they are the world's largest, like, or one of the largest retailers of secondary markets. And that, I think Gary once said uh, brilliantly in a, in a panel that it's it feels, and it is very much a, a, a form of, of market manipulation, right? And that's sounds like a bad word, um, but as a business, that just makes so much sense. It's like we deal with it every day. Like so many brands take a market share or they capitalize on whatever product it is, and they're the they control what gets sold, or a majority of it. So it makes sense for them to who have a huge market of Debitune and can can help price out what they should be. If they acquired like their idea with Jorn was to get as many Jorns and become like the one place you can get the most amount of Jorns. So people would go there. And then by controlling that, you can raise the price because you dictate what the prices are. You know, it was very minimal competition, so it made sense for them to hey, we have a lot of pre-owned Deva If we, you know, they were in the right position, in the right place to say let's acquire a part of it and like be a part of that, so we can help control what the secondary marketplace, the pricing is, is a brilliant move on their part. And I don't know if if scaling production is a part of it because I think it's a it would be it would make sense, but it would be a combination of producing more watches but then holding the Mac, which is a mm, yeah. time that Paddock and Rolex and AP have been playing for decades. You know, I was <clears throat> I didn't say the story in the last time, but it was doing sales. I think people who've been in this game for long enough understand that the Rolex Daytona was something that everyone will strive to get. And what people didn't know was like you the the safe in the back had at this at, you know in this one store that was the biggest retailer in the world they had 20 of the white dial toners and 20 of the black dial toners sitting in a safe in the back and that was 20 something years ago
1: oh that's a great thing to say on the podcast
2: <laughs> yeah well this is something that you need to understand and it, and people shouldn't be mad at this fact people should not be upset about this because you have to understand if you were a business, and this is this is only because they were the largest. Not every mom and pop have that many. Every mom and pop has one. Maybe they got a year, mm-hmm. and they have to hold it for their best client, and they need to save it for like the people who spend the most money. It's a bargaining chip. It's a golden goose. So people get mad and they're like, "Oh, I never get this watch or blah blah blah." And I'm like, you have to understand that if you were a business and they gave you one golden ticket, you who were you going to give it to? The random person off the street? Of course not. That's why there is no such thing as a waiting list for watches that are what is it people call blue chips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So if it's a very rare piece, it has nothing, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do. Don't, don't be offended. Like if you're their best client and you spent as much money as the last guy and you brought a key lime pie and maybe you're your favorite client now, maybe you're the one that gets that one perpetual Nautilus or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it just, it just varies on relationships. And I always tell people be nice to your salespeople, be understanding, build relationships with the, with the, the store owners and the ADs and, mm-hmm. you know, That's that's gonna work out, and that goes for everything, independence and all that.
1: Like you must have had those clients though that were big high rollers, right? They spent a lot, yeah, but they treated you like shit.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Excuse me they they definitely exist, and they definitely, definitely (laughs) definitely um, exist. (laughs) They definitely exist, and uh, sometimes they do. Memorable. They they only deal with very specific people. Um, sometimes they're just like they'll be they'll be that person would come in. Every store has oh this guy's coming in so and so come up to the front your person's here like you would just they would just you'd get delegated the one person because no one ever want to deal with them and there was always the one person in the story. story's like all right i'll put up with this this person's stuff because they're worth it you know because of the price because of the money being made um and you always have that person and yeah 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 it's it exists you, it's you,
1: you, you must have had your fair share of like laughing at crap jokes oh yeah oh yeah
2: <laughs> i, I the the funny thing is that because I'm such people if there's something that people have told me over the years in this industry and just outside everyone's just like your your face is just you can't hide any any emotion <laughs> like I'm just so enthusiastic and authentic and if I'm if I don't agree with something like you'll see it in my face so <laughs> it's really hard to hide yeah. that but I will laugh at people authentically and I will give them the time of day and and uh, I I very much put hundred percent blood, us 20 years uh you know in everything that i when i've dealt with the client i'd be exhausted at the end of the day because mm. i would give it hundred yeah. percent for like two three hours and then the next person the next person when i dealt yeah. with people i want to search. ask
1: this question I, I it's a genuine question but since a lot of people that buy watches are guys does it help if you are a woman and are hot to do, do you know what i mean like i know a thousand percent you, what you mean. I don't mean it in a sexist way. And I'm trying to ask the question, but i am actually, from your experience, does it, it, is it easier?
2: I'm going to tell you, um, I will tell you that because of the background psychology, behavioral psychology and studying people constantly coming in and out of stores and how people interact with each salesperson and how the salesperson interact with each person that comes in, the type of people who come in, I can tell you that it, it doesn't have anything to do with, um, with, like, whether you know, sexuality being sexist or none of that stuff, you're completely right that if someone is more appealing to you, um, and that's just like marketing 101, like, that's why sex sells, and that's why people, the, the most attractive people in from our societal standards are always the most, you know, people that are selling us things or, or, or representing people in movies. Um, it's always because of like some lower level of attractiveness or regardless of gender. Um, yeah, the, the, it's either going to be, partially because of that, or what I spoke about before, where you would assume the oldest person or the tallest person was the person who knew the most. So we're, we're subconsciously very much guided towards the tallest person thinking of the leader, just because of like, you know, human instinct nature. So mm-hmm. we'll think that the, we'll be more uh, re- receptive to the most attractive person, um, regardless of we actually want anything to happen or we're married or whatever, whatever. It's just, it's subconsciously, you're just more, you're going to be more likely to listen and believe the person with the white hair, or you're going to be more, um, you're going to be more receptive to the most attractive person in the room. You're, you go in there and you want to talk to them and Mm -hmm. you're, can you be more persuaded into uh, buying something? Yes. That's very much a thing. And, and, and a lot of stores um, would literally hire, attractive people male or female knowing that those people would do well regardless of whether they knew anything about watches they'd be like oh we can teach you anything you're a model great come in we're gonna teach you we're like we're gonna do sales and, and that was um any retailer in, in on the planet will tell you obviously that's part of their tactic or, it, or at least it once was you know because they understand that
1: because it's a tale as old as yeah, time yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i mean like uh abacombi and Hollister, they did it successfully. Great to just go into that store just to be <laughs> hot chicks, man. Like, I'm not even ashamed to, no, I'm not even ashamed to admit it. Like,
0: <laughs>
1: when you, I mean, if you've got guys, not that I was checking out the guys, right? But like, they're just like, not they're shirtless, or, you know, just hanging yeah, the like six pack abs. out. Yeah, yeah, abs. There's a clear thing, isn't there, happening there? You know, let's not. But I just, I'm just laughing at my head off right, because I could just see Lovewell, right next time. She's going to boutique, yeah. She's going to hone out a guy, right? She's going to oh, look okay. at a guy right he, like, Yeah, then she's going to wear like, uh, like I have always... a key lime pie.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I've been very like, I can tell you the exact store, like Geneva Richard Mill. The guy who opens the door, I guarantee you, he's still working there. He's so good looking. I was like, you shouldn't work here. But like, and and you know, like in Ginza recently, because I mean, they're not my type of guys. Because they're the skinny, like anime type, you know, with the long (laughs) wavy hair and jeans (laughs) and whatever you love I'm that. What like, are you talking about? No, you love it. Why are you working here? Like, let me, you know, link you up with some movie director or something. Like, <laughs> I was really confused.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, but subconsciously you're you're more likely to go to that store with that security guard no that's I
0: actually find it really <laughs> like it actually puts me off because I will think to myself, okay, if you're into watches you don't look like that (laughs) you look like
1: right Right. we're all nerds we're all ugly nerds nerds. is that that. a slight at me and rob there like was that a (laughs) thinly veiled swipe if you're into watches you shouldn't look like that so what you said about me and rob if
0: i didn't know rob and then he was still working there i go in i'm not gonna be like hey look at this guy yeah he looks like he knows watches i'll be like he knows gold jewelry or something and i'll go to him for like jewelry
1: yeah and he, looks a bit, and he looks a bit like hugh jackman
0: <laughs> yeah
2: like... i could talk to you about x-men and cuban gold yeah, yeah, yeah. necklaces yeah. apparently
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh what would you think about me long if you saw me
0: i was like <laughs> he should be in the back stalking off the shelf <laughs> <laughs> yeah checking to
1: check making sure that those 20 20 day totas are, are in the safe properly Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that would be the, uh,
1: we were talking about that rob like how many um pieces of like nautilus have you seen in, in the back like <clears throat> i won't say a specific model just nautilus in one go um, i can't <clears throat> <clears throat>
2: um so i can't actually even say um just because of <laughs> my past <laughs> um <laughs> working for so many companies or said company i can tell you that certain retailers get a lot more than others based on their position and what they sell. And I can tell you, there's been a time where I've had, um, because of timing when things came in, I'm just like two handfuls worth of 57 11s in my one point in my life. Um, and that's, you would have retailers who would get one every other mm-hmm. year, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you'd have some retailers like the one that I worked with that I'm like, oh, this is just our store, it's getting this many. And I can tell you there's a lot more of certain watches out there than you think and a lot of the game is about perception and what you think and I'll, that I think the the, the industry has uh kind of gone too far in that direction of kind of manipulating and making people think that things are so rare because they've benefited from it and I think they understood that if they made things so exclusive that You know, people are going to want and create such a demand that they could make so many, and they could secretly make more, and people wouldn't know because everyone thinks they're so rare. And that's just been uh, a sales tactic since since the beginning. You know, so people want a fifty seven, you know, a fifteen two hundred two or sixteen two hundred two or fifty seven eleven or fifty eight eleven or whatever it's now it is called now. It's not impossible. Um, You have to play the game, and you have to do it right, and you don't spend that much money. But unfortunately, it's it's more difficult is today than it was ten years ago.
1: Is there go. a waiting list? If they say I'm gonna put you on the waiting list, is there a waiting list?
2: Yes and no. It depends on the brand. Um so so uh, now
1: okay.
2: so now, now I've heard that people actually have physical lists and like actually do things. So when I could tell you back 10 years ago, each salesperson would like write on a piece of paper and I just have a bunch of names and I have a book. And when I when somebody would come in, all of us would just call our clients and whoever came in first, whoever called dibs first would get it. So it was very, very kind of it was easier it's- to get. It was very random. And it was like, if I forgot about, oh, you know what? I completely forgot about the people because I didn't write down their names. But the guy who came with the key lime pie, I remembered him. He's on top of my list, (laughs) you know, and I get to choose (laughs) who, who, who gets it. So, and, and the people don't realize that the people in the store and it's either sometimes it's as low as the salespeople to the owner of the, of the actual AD who decide who's getting the piece ultimately and lists don't really matter. It's, it's also at the discretion
1: of the people. Can I ask when you, when the guy with the key lime pie actually got his pieces? Did he still come in with key lime pie? Yeah, he was he was he was great. He was he he had buttered us up for years
2: before he even bought anything. And I don't even know. I, assuming he bought something after I left because he, I, I he was just he was just a a uh, uh, a good watch person. He was just a he was just an enthusiast who would come yeah. and talk to us about watches and yeah. share stories about his stories. And he just he was just an avid collector uh So it wasn't even it, he understood the game early on? He understood that if he needed favors, it, we were the only people he was butting up. He was buttering up people all over the world. He had gotten <laughs> like these ridiculous watches from an AD in a different part of the yeah. world because they just didn't have the the client. Like everyone gets their chance, but yeah. if you're like I don't know in some random country, if you're in Thailand, now maybe there's a lot of collectors in Thailand, but like you're in New Zealand or you're in some random Island and there's happens to be one AD and they just happen to get a chance at like, I don't know, a minute repeater or something one time in a decade and they don't have anybody for it, but they're not going to deny it. And then you just happen to walk in and you're like, what do you have in the safe? And you're like, well, I have a fifty seventy eight in the safe. Um, If you buy this expensive gold bracelet watch, and I'll let you buy it. And they're like, all right, sure. Boom. You just walked out what would be extremely difficult to do in New York city with, you know, years of, of spend and getting, applying for a a grand complication and all that jazz, you might be able to just walk in a place and get lucky and buy it somewhere else on the other side of the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of it has to do with chance and variables and depending on where you're shopping, but building that rapport with your AD. um, And especially if you search for the ADs that um, have less people, I mean, that's kind of the biggest secret, to be honest. I knew, I knew collectors who, would call they had several ladies around the country because they were just flying in private jets all the time so if they had to go to omaha they'd go to omaha you know
1: right to, yeah okay but i mean um, there's more questions
2: about independence i'm sure i could talk about
1: there's so many things about yeah so so the thing with independence is if you want to butter up an independent how do you butter him up because it's not like you know the retail there's loads of retailers there right so you don't butter up the salesperson you have to butter up the guy himself and mention him on instagram by the way yeah. Uh, I'm going to send the key lime pie your way. <laughs> you know, and, it's a lot harder. Switzerland. Yeah. It's a lot it, harder, right? It's, it's a lot harder today,
2: but I feel like people aren't doing it. I don't hear stories about people like getting buttered up. I don't, I don't hear salespeople. I just hear salespeople getting, I mean, I hear, um, watch people, like people who buy watches are just upset and frustrated. I don't see people. I think people need to do the reverse. I think you need to not be frustrated. I think you need to be very polite and courteous to your salespeople and the reps and, and all that stuff. And, uh, I feel like right now, because of how vitriol the industry is, I think you would come out on the winning side with, uh, with a little more honey as opposed to... I think um, I've heard honey. something.
1: I've heard, you know, if you have a, like an important date, yeah, and you you put that in, it also changes. So like, you know, if you get just about to re- retire or, mm-hmm. you know, it's your wedding anniversary or you got married, you know, like it, it plays a big, like it sways it in your um, side quite a bit oh oh definitely definitely people
2: and the good retailers will ask for birthdays and information for, for for several reasons because they can reach you for a gift in terms of jewelry or something else they say oh you you know your wife's birthday or your husband's birthday like is there something that we can get them in addition to so all the information is is power and i think one of the things i learned from Toronto very way back was getting people to cross that threshold of walking into the store was invaluable. So everything, when it came to like pre-internet, everything in terms of like how we would market or like make watch sales revolved around getting people through that door. And that was through information. And the more information you had, the more powerful you were. So you were trying to get people's birthdays and information about holidays and all that stuff because you wanted to contact people with a reason say, oh. Hey, you know, can we do this for you for whatever X, Y thing. Now you combine that with waitlist, which is the waiting list has become such a powerful tool now because it's just been, it's what everyone talks about. Mm. There's podcast names after it, obviously. And it's become such a, a big thing <laughs> that, um, People definitely use that to their advantage and say, all right, well, let us know birthdays and certain days because when they're weighing it out and if they like you because you're that good client that was very friendly to them, then they'll say, okay, well, we have this person coming up, the next one, or the one we get they let's say they get a, a Pepsi GMT every month or they get two every month they know this. They'll save one of them for for a a client for that certain month and surprise them because having happy clients is a wonderful experience. And you and these people want to be happy at work and they want right they thrive on the 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 clients that make them the happiest and then give them the biggest grief. So right. don't give them the grief. Don't don't call people pissed off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Next time I'm going to go to AP and tell them that it's my bar mitzvah.
2: <laughs> Me too. Me too. I'll yeah. we'll see if
1: that works. I'll say yeah, my bar mitzvah <laughs> next month. Right. No. Anyway, I'm gonna, on my last two questions of the main interview, which was, we focused mainly on like the expensive pieces um, in independent brands, but actually, there are a lot more affordable like brands out there, such as, and it comes to mind, like Phil and Mary, or even the Hida, you know, what what's your take on those kind of those brands? Because they already produce in a, a higher demand, Now, Nahuda Hida, you know, is in a, a slightly higher price point, but... And, but still very relatively low production where I wonder, you know, how he even does it to be honest, or is he just focusing on making the brand and making exclusive, making that desire there before ramping up the production? Yeah. What do you see in that space there with independent brands? Um, there's so many micro brands
2: over the last 10 plus years that have come out. So many of them succeed. So many fail. So many that failed shouldn't have failed. And so many that succeed shouldn't have exceeded. There's so many, so many micro brands that i just like, why is this a thing? And then, you know, we have our our own perspective of like what we like and what we don't like. And I'm very much um, humbled when I am wrong. I love being wrong about a watch because I'm just like, oh, that's a horrible idea. I don't like it. And then it succeeds. And and I'm like, oh, well, that's great that they did it. And I'm glad that I was wrong, that that watch wasn't going to survive because everyone should get a chance. And the market is so much broader than we think in our own perspective, always. And there's always a watch out there for somebody. There's some... You know, little rinky dink, you know, companies in tiny little parts of the world that will make a very generic looking watch, but they have a huge client base and they service a certain demographic, maybe two to $500 right watches that they're giving people with a Seiko movement that is making a lot of people happy and has made them a lot of money. And I say kudos to all of you, and I'm glad it's a positive win-win for everyone regardless of whether I'd ever own one or wear one myself. And I think Ferland Mari is like a good example of something like that. And that just talks about, that's just a whole other story in, in uh, the perception, the marketing, the psychology of watches and the popular watches. And when people say, this is a good watch to buy um, when the, the, the popular people, (coughs)
0: excuse
2: me, when the popular people are saying, this is a watch that I'm looking at or I'm buying. And it influences a whole, like group of other people to buy it i'm not mad at it but there's some watches that i don't agree with there's some micros and independents that i'm just like how come it's okay for this brand to steal all these attributes from another brand or various brands and that's okay but then when another brand does it because it's not cool then you're like oh you know it that sucks it's horrible it's trademark infringement and it's just a uh what's the word that the kids use? It's um like a copy. It's just their are um, homages and stuff.
1: Mm. Oh homages.
2: And um it's it's such a it's such a who's who club and there are watches that shouldn't be a thing. I mean the Furland Mari, I was not I loved when I saw it, I loved it aesthetically. Um and I thought it was an amazing <clears throat> excuse me. I thought it was an amazing Uh, looking watch, and then I found out that the price point was far was I mean was was really low because it was like the mecha quartz, and me knowing me, I was gonna if I bought it, I wouldn't I wouldn't wear it that much because I would rather I want to wear my mechanical watches because probably like a lot of collectors we have too many watches and we just cycle through too many watches, Mm -hmm. and you buy things you buy for more you bought it because it was cool because it was limited edition because it was the it watch for the moment and then it sits somewhere and either you sell it or whatever mm-hmm. and for me that's at my point of my collecting i'm just like that's not what i want to do mm.
1: so. right final question collectors of you know going to independence now after they've done their independence you don't get every independent right you pick a few and you kind of like okay I, I buy into that and then you get them right there's not even that many pieces where'd you go from there as a collector? Um, then from
2: there so every everyone's so different because I I feel like some people go through the motions and they think they're being like individuals but they're just going through the paces that everyone's gone before them they just get the same so many watches and then they if they reach the point where they're like oh i want to get into independence they might go through the same independence that everyone else wants or they decide they become very much in tune with what they actually like and what they want and decide to go something that's not crazy popular and that's my favorite kind of collector. The person who was getting the oddball weird stuff that everyone overlooked. You know, Parmigiani is a brand that's becoming more popular now. Um, and I'm I'm so proud of them for like finally breaking that. Mm-hmm. And now people
1: that's are- That's thanks to us, them. by the way. Huh? That's thanks to us.
0: <laughs> now we interviewed uh,
1: Guido, yeah, and uh, Michelle. <laughs> and after that, you know, it's no surprise really. It's starting to get <laughs> hot. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised.
2: Yeah, not It's all like you guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's- they are a brand that should have been well known. And there's so many other brands that should get more recognition. And as time's going on, people are starting to uncover their vintage pieces. Like Roger Dubuis uh, was, was a good example, and then Daniel Roth had the huge bump where all the older Daniel Roth, older Roger Dubuis, now even some old Roger, uh, Frank Mueller's, mm-hmm. are getting all this um, this press and all this love. The collectors are buying, and now they're going up in prices. Unfortunately, but it, it, it's it's I uh, lost my train of thought, but. <laughs> But it's, it's uh... let me go back to what was the question?
1: <laughs> Where'd you go in after as a collector?
2: After
1: oh, after that, so
2: even, people are yeah. going to these these random places. And um, now I think people want to customize things. People are going from these brands that are different. You either go to the, the brands that people aren't looking at, or you start getting customized stuff. And I think now the very top top collectors who were getting customized carry Wootolans and stuff like that years ago are now... Trying to get the most obscure watchmakers before anyone knows who they are i think that's like the upper upper echelon of like what people are doing now and then for everyone else we're just i think we're just kind of filling in the gaps with the pieces that no one's looking at the Mm shippards and the parmigianis of the world
1: all right well that was a very enjoyable conversation on independence i enjoyed that one very much um we now go on to the reverso round rob all right well i'm very curious what. And you may
2: have been asked this way too many times, but what independent watch brands are huh. you very surprised to to actually like today that you didn't like maybe a couple of years oh. ago or maybe you didn't know about and now you're just very surprised that you would like it?
0: Mm. Wow.
1: Long, you go first.
0: That's hard. But okay, <laughs> then I guess from the top of my head, I think uh, all, generally all the... They're not even fully independent, but like some of the smaller micro... Oh, fine. Okay. Independent Japanese watch brands, including Na- that and then this other one recently. I was telling Dan Kikuchi, but they're all. Um, it's not like they make their own movements in- or anything. It's just that, just very, very, very good finishing, and I think it's appealing because I think I I'm not exposed to the marketing. I mean, obviously, most of the marketing is done in Japanese, or it's not being sent here so that kind of adds to the appeal i think a bit of like mystique and then you feel like you discovered it where like i'm sure it's actually very big there already um yeah so if you had told me many years ago would i eventually go towards smaller dials cleaner dials i would have definitely said no but now it's like okay it's interesting because it's just something i don't understand so yeah
1: interesting No, I don't think there's been a watch that a brand that I didn't think much of as an independent brand and then has like thought, oh, I I really want it now, actually, because I think with independent brands, um, they have a very clear DNA. You know, if you go through each independent brand, they have a very differentiating like centerpiece of what their brand is about, and it really is different to another independent brand. And I don't think that has changed. So. Uh, or at least changed enough for me to think, oh, okay, my opinion of this brand has changed, you know. Like, if I think this wasn't back for me back then, it isn't for me back now, you know. Mm -hmm. So there hasn't been really any independent brand that has uh, surprised me. I I kind of, like, would like it if Kari didn't keep making dials for other brands. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Because I feel, but I'm asked the question, right, on earlier about which brands are best positioned as independent brands. I would say Roger Smith, uh, Recep, and I would put Kari in there. But I think Kari had a head start above all of them, right? Oh, yeah. But the problem with Kari is that from a business point of view, why would you make dials for brands that are cheaper than you but then also have keep the same design there because what you're like as a how i get it as a consumer is wait a minute i can buy an urban yugensen or i can buy a Schwarz etienne and get the main selling point of akari which is the dial for basically half price except you know what i mean and if you look at urban yugensen it has tear drop lugs and he was oh. a you know i'm shocked
0: like, that you say that it's it's, it's brilliant, brilliant. It's brilliant. But honestly, first of all, like, if you're from a business perspective, why wouldn't you? Everyone has done that. Chefs have put their names on two cheap pots. Um, Big brands like high fashion brands have worked with H&M. Like anyone would do that i
2: get the argument because people yeah. are just like why would omega and swatch do a thing together that's going to yeah. devalue omega but it doesn't it just it add it actually raises omega to a whole other audience of people who don't know omega but know swatch yeah. now they, they will yeah, that's my question like, like it'll strive
1: to get well, one, one day. i think but in those you- two two uh examples you gave right h&m which is what Long said and you said swatch they are supremely mass products Oh yeah, yeah you get a lot of communication there Urban Eugensson isn't no right and so are you saying like customers of urban Eugenson like get exposed to that, and then they want to get the real thing I don't well, think they do not really
2: no why it works for for Carrie in the other direction is that he doesn't need to sell more watches he could se- he has more people to buy carry Butlian watches for the rest of his life than he knows to do with and what do you do when you have that problem? You can't sell more of your product. You can't make more product. You don't want to, you don't want to, um, you know, liquid. You don't want to make too many of these products. You need to make them have a consistent high quality. So what do you do? How do you make more money? How do you expand? You do the exact opposite. You go into the lower end market, which is brilliant because it's what so many other people have done. There's two ways to like really do it well as independent. And I, I was talking to a lot of different independent brands about, controlling the market and doing secondary market for themselves, which I think like Jorn and Max eventually started getting in. They started taking in watches, refurbishing themselves and selling pre-owned so they can dictate and control the secondary market price, which helps the brand as a whole in terms of the marketing and how much it's worth. And that helped a lot of brands, more people need to do it. And I think people should, that's one part. The other part, if you're an independent micro brand or you're an independent brand that makes only so many watches is to make a lower end model that is not on the same level, but then you have, you create, you get such a bigger audience and you actually make a lot more money that way. Cause, uh, Hajime, you know, Ahsoka, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, but he, Asoka, made so many amazing watches. No one knew who he was. I met him at AHCI years ago and I saw, uh, the piece I think that he had for, for Gary Getz. Um, like this Empire State Hands was a Turbion, it was amazing, and no one knew who this person was, and only the very high end collectors like Gary and the other ones like were ordering things that are bespoke by him, handmade. Mm-hmm. But he was a brilliant businessman to understand that if he made the Corona watches, there was a lot more money to be made there, and that's why Michael Kors and Daniel Wellington, you know, became these huge, huge mega businesses because the profit margin was a lot bigger. Okay, sense to sell I, more units I still, I still, I still on margin. this
1: uh, contention because. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll let the Urban Uganson thing go, but what about well, Urban Groenfeld, the... like doing the dials yeah. for Groenfeld? What about the dials for short city? Okay, wait, like, I... can you say okay, that it's I just like you, you know, you're doing the thing if for that? I don't quite think so.
0: Would it bother you? Would you buy the watch if you didn't know this? Didn't know. Okay, for example,
2: it's a win win for the brands that collaborate with him. yes i agree with that it's a win for him because he's getting this notoriety as a dial maker which no one you know he has like a really good dial maker so it's like when you collaborate with a bigger brand and like it works both it ends up being beneficial for both because now the people who are like oh my god that's a really high echelon it's more about branding so like him collaborating with all these people and making it such a big deal make his brand this untouchable kind of like this holy grail, the same way that we put paddock and roll and uh, AP on these pedestals, people will do that to him and his name because of the of the of the name of the dial, of the, the effect that he manufactures it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I thought the same thing at first. I was like, Is this a good idea that he's making little dials for cell phones? Do you remember that when he was doing that for Virtue? Yeah, yeah. When that came out, yeah, I, I yeah, saw yeah, that yeah. and I was like, "That's a that. very odd flex, and that's kind of weird." But mm-hmm. wait a minute, that's a brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Uh, and so this, this is before people even knew who Carrie Tulane was. This is before the rise of the yeah. independence. This was yeah. such a long time ago. It was like ten years ago. He was doing these tiny little dies for Virtu when that actually existed, and people questioned, like, "Why would you get into cell phones?" And I'm like, "I get this guy. He's branching out, and he's trying to build uh, more of a status for his brand." Mm-hmm. And he did such a good job doing it in the last ten years. And part of it was because you would collaborate with with people collaborations and limited editions becomes obviously such a such a thing for every.
1: okay you said like he's got so many orders for kari right yeah yeah that he he doesn't have to do it whatever how would you make why why no why why not increase the production
2: oh because then you you would you would that's, that's the balance of every single brand. And they have to keep the balance perfectly well, because a little too much or a little too less will completely topple the business. If you make too many watches and you end up having more supply than demand, then right there, you're starting mm-hmm. to devalue your brand. Mm-hmm. And everyone has been so careful to stay on that line. And if you make, and people do it, obviously, like I said, group of Four is a great example of someone's yeah. going to do it and they think they're going to do it responsibly. And I, I, I took a, I was taken aback. I was like, that's a lot of, of scale and but they they're like we know we're doing and this it's just a small bit that we feel confident that it's gonna be fine mm. Carrie can only make so many watches if you were to get more watchmakers and bump it up you do risk and, and people just generally assume that the quality is going to be not as good and the last thing you want is people think that your quality is not as good as it was was mm.
0: you know
2: so it all is that it's hard it's hard Dad, to I just like independent I just ask you to, this? because yeah, i'm really
0: curious about this like Correct me if I'm wrong. The guy who makes the dial for crayon is also the guy who makes the dial for Anderson Genève world time. That kind of, not the, like not the the one. Yeah. Like uh, the standard one, but, but it's by CNC as well. Right. Machine. So if you were placing an order for crayon, which is priced way higher. Right. And then you find out, look, he also works with this other brand. It's lower priced. Right would you say okay i'm not going to order one anymore
1: yeah you see that what i'm saying what i'm yeah. what i'm enjoying this conversation is because there is this thing which is the thing we're talking about is Kari putting it on other dials yeah like clearly that to you is a positive thing which is fair enough yeah. but that to me is a negative thing and that <laughs> that and that is no but that's what i'm it's not it's not like we have to agree yeah because I there know. are some consumers that are going to yeah. love it and there Hell are some yeah. consumers that don't like it. And it. And I for know. me as a collector, I don't, I, I always see it like that. But it's, I think it's a very interesting um, perspective to hear from you two okay, to I, say, oh, you see convi- it positively.
0: Okay. My last, just last example, just, just trying to convince you. Like sometimes you take an yeah. airline and the menu yeah. is created by a chef like Gordon yeah. Ramsay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nah, it- that never works on me. <laughs> <laughs> I never think, I always think that's just marketing bullshit. I think like. The food yeah. is still shit. Yeah, like, yeah, because it's fucking <laughs> airline wrong. food. Yeah, So it doesn't make me think. But, like, I get in that instance, like, maybe for Gordon Ramsay, it's good because you see his name. But again, I can see it if it's a real mass, like, product, like okay. Swatch and, like, H&M. Even, like, you know, when Cause did the thing with Uniqlo. I, yeah. I really get that. Because yeah. so many eyes. But for the other brands, I mean... Do you, do you know right. anyone who has a short set Etienne? I don't. All right. I've met
2: somebody recently who just
1: bought one because of the, the Caraguitelian dial. Right. Yeah, so clearly, you know, what you guys say probably does work.
2: Yeah, yeah at Watch Time New York, uh, I just met somebody. I think he worked for Roman Scharf. He was like one of his, uh, like... Yeah, like his Ten Maso. And he had just like, Oh, look at my 18 shorts with the, the mm-hmm. dial. I just got it. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. And like, that's obviously clearly was inspired because of the dial. And I was blown away because I like you, I had not met anybody who had done that recently, but I'm mm-hmm. assuming that it was gonna work well for them. And I heard people had bought them. So I'm like, all right, cool. I get it. I get the mm-hmm. shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um I wanted to talk, I wanted to say, I was like, there's a couple of things I definitely wanted to bring up. Like, I'm so excited with Christopher Ward, what they're doing with the Belcanto, making an affordable hour chiming watch. um I'm really enthusiastic about Armin Strom. From that show, I was just thinking about all the brands I met and saw and all the new upcoming things. I think Armin Strom is finally having their heyday and coming back. And I feel like they were brand for years that had the resources to make whatever they wanted. And thankfully they didn't have to push it. Um, but they make some of the most incredible pieces and the finishing and going to if you ever go to Beale or Bene um mm-hmm. in Switzerland and you get the chance to go to the, the factory, the small, it was an old Rolex um building, a tiny little hut. That they they repurposed and made it Armin Strom and they you'll meet Claude who not only is you know one of the CEOs like one of the head people engineer and watchmaker he mm-hmm. took me through all the things and he was literally there just like actually decorating things mm-hmm. like when I when I arrived um, so hands on I think Armin Strom is probably one of the most over not most but it's like it's an overlooked brand that people should definitely pay more attention to and now they have they're coming into into light with their new sports model and now they're like they're actually they actually sold out all of them. And mm-hmm. that's one of the brands I see that's getting a lot of attention from uh I think the the collectors corner or collectors the the new
1: the new group that's yeah started, uh, collective the collective Tom. I think the collective that's cool. it yeah uh, we actually did an episode with uh Armin Asher? strong yeah. yeah no no did it like a while back I told you uh, we do an episode that thing gets hot yeah <laughs> right like you, you need to see the trend <laughs> right I'm looking it. Right. To-
0: before we yeah. go to pump pusher because you said that i just wanted to ask rob something really quickly like mm-hmm. you can't lie you got to be really honest about this it's the only you, it's the only way i am okay do you feel that you have any kind of influence like you can say something and then it becomes hot like you put uh, it into a WhatsApp group or something
2: um oh i I did tell you guys well i mean i want to think that my influence is greater than it is i really don't think it is but occasionally people will reach out to me and tell me oh i read that story i heard this thing and or or, like you inspired me to buy this watch and that's very Mm -hmm. very flattering and i definitely didn't realize that our reach on social media and on the internet goes way further than we ever think it will um so to this day i have people telling me about a podcast i was on like five or six years ago and i'm just like wow (laughs) i'm beyond flattered that they that i that i Whatever I said make you made you decide to buy a dan Dan Henry, <laughs> 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 which I'm all about. Which for me, um, just go back about what we were talking about, like in terms of like for Murray, I think like cool, good watch, great. But for me, the unsung hero is Dan Henry, who's like, if you guys know the story about Dan Henry, mm-hmm. did you guys have him on the on the in the interview? In the no, chat? Not yet. Not yet. He's this eccentric, like extremely wealthy person who decided I'm just gonna make watches like at a low price point with like barely any margins at like are something that the market needed, like these vintage looking, very affordable watches for the masses. And it would be on the sales floor, like at the the trade shows, just selling watches, talking to people all day, every day. Now, talk about the, the top of the line in terms of like, of watch collectors and people actually doing good for the world and for our community and for our industry. Mm-hmm. I can't speak greater about Dan Henry and his influence of what he's done to get like really cool vintage looking watches in the hands of people of that who could afford a $200
1: watch can't mm. say much more about that but um that's just a tangent anyway sorry <laughs> cool. yeah well I hope I hope people actually know that they can pick up on my sarcasm and this I mean thankfully this is a point <laughs> you can actually hear my voice right rather than text and you think oh my god he thinks he's actually uh like yeah exactly <laughs> like, no 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 I, I fully know I'm not by the way I just want to put it out there because there's some people like, that listen to this that probably do, do think that so hopefully <laughs> they didn't switch off before I actually said that. <laughs> um, there was, yeah, there's was, there was another part of your
2: question that I feel like i missed because I'm so neo-divergent. I'm like, I went into one topic uh, and handed that
1: about... question. Um, no, yeah. Basically, do you see yourself as having an influence? That was the question. from Long. Oh, you know what? The second
2: part of that was, well, I was going to go into the thing that we talked about before about how... Um, I was I was listening to Omar's uh, interview on the podcast and he was talking about dolphin stock and I was hoping he'd expand on that and I was, it was funny in so back in like 2014, there we definitely had more influence, uh, you know there were Instagrams watch celebrities that who've become names and we be, I feel like my influence and status now is because. We were on the ground floor. And we had a chat back in 2014 with like Risty. If you're if you're familiar with Risty, um he took his life a couple of years ago, RIP and Risty. He was a huge influential person in, in this on Instagram. We had a chat with me, him, a bottom, a lot of the watch celebrities at the time, like uh watch anish or anish and a lot of guys. And they jokingly said, you know, we can. Totally make up something and put it on, on Instagram, and people would believe it and question it. And one day, uh, Risty was just the class clown of all of us, he was the funny guy. And he said dolphin stock and put it on one like a niche's thing. And then he, we all convinced Anisha to like put, put a post, and we all put a post revolving dolphin stock to make the speculation to make everybody like, What is this? How do I do it? And we're like, Oh, yeah, we made all this money on dolphin stock, <laughs> and people. So many people messaged us in a niche, and he showed us all this stuff. Like people were just reaching out to him like crazy, be like, "What is this stock? What is this company? We need to know." And he had created this artificial, um, this artificial thing that so many people responded to, just because we wanted to see if we could. We wanted mm-hmm. to see if we could um, influence how much of our, how much sway we actually had, and that was like a little test of it. We kind of were like, and you thought I it was. It was comical and we just kind of let it, we let it go. I think we did one or two more posts about it. And we had like Daily Watch, Patch Style, um, you know, Omar. Like we had a lot of these guys who had big followings and we all just talked about it briefly and then just let it die because people were just messaging us like crazy. Like, what is this? And we would just see Anisha's post about it and would have like hundreds of comments of people just like wanting to know what it was and buy it. And we knew, understood then the influence and power that I guess we, we potentially could have if we were to push something. And that's kind of how it's. That wasn't why it started. I think a niche, um, meeting Jeremy and starting that whole brand of saying, okay, we can help propel a brand in a certain direction. And they did that with Seven Friday as like the first micro brand to actually like have footing and not do any marketing and pay a niche and like help them push Seven Friday. And that became like the first thing that became like a real thing. And that's how that whole avenue
1: started. Oh, that of influencers, and that's massive. That's a brand I haven't heard for decades, like seven. Right? but They still yeah, they make sunglasses
2: or something like that.
1: Oh, oh really? Okay. Yeah.
2: I'm not sure. I've even, right. I've
1: been... <laughs> right. Anyway, let's uh, move on to the pump push around. Okay. A bit sure. easier than last time. Um, number one, something that we should try in our lives. It could be an activity or a food or anything. Uh, you gobsmacked. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. I, don't, I, I, was I thought saying... <laughs> this would be easy for you. <laughs> Something. Uh, repeat the question, please. I don't even. I don't even know. Something that we should try in our lives, you know, whether it be an activity or food or anything, try once. Um. Well, I was going to say
2: either shibari or skydiving. Um, but I don't think every that's up. Uh, that's not. That's not for everyone. Not everyone needs to do try. That's this stuff, that's like, uh, shibari is uh, an ancient Japanese rope like uh technique of like tying people up, and it, it's a. It's a very therapeutic thing it's it's people related it to bondage yeah. and like oh okay it's definitely a it's a cool fun therapeutic uh meditative thing to do um, Meditative, it's, huh? it's very meditative yeah who oh
0: ties yeah you yeah. up though i'm sorry like who's tying you up
2: oh i mean uh, people who are really good at shibari they can tie me up um where i tie people up you know or
0: <laughs> all right
2: partners my partners either one you know oh okay. uh, right okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, have you
2: have you either never heard of it or tried or seen it or youtube i've never it? heard of it i've never you like...
0: know like the those kind of like um god the sex ones you know the ones that like <laughs> that's what i'm like what is he talking about yeah
1: the thing was rob What's you said it either? as though we should know what it was you know what <laughs> i mean like the way you said it was like yeah it's a shibari what was the other thing you said i've talking like you, you heard same. shibari you're
2: like and that's it i said skydiving. Yeah, i was like
1: so. yeah skydiving and shibari it like it's the same like level mm-hmm. of thing and like it, it isn't right i'm sure Not there's lots a little of bit but no they're very different. also don't know what shibari is right if, <laughs> if, if if they do we're clearly doing the wrong podcast <laughs> Shibari's
2: got having in bow buns i don't know just just very just random things i'm just throwing out there okay I don't know. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah um i wonder if it's the tying up that's therapeutic or what happens after which is therapeutic
2: <laughs> <laughs> all of the above i mean yeah it's
1: right anyway i'll go on to the next one um we'll get... someone you would love to meet and what would you actually ask them
0: Ooh.
2: so i actually i i um i don't know and i know that it's very easy to be disenchanted with people once you've met them and talk to them um 'cause they're just confused human beings like everyone else who just don't know what they're doing. And it's just like you have to catch up at the right time. So I I was fortunate enough just the other week, a friend was hosting an event with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I got to go <laughs> and and meet him and talk to him. And, you know, everyone's drinking and and we were outdoors and I got to talk to him for a little bit and ask him a bunch of questions. And I, like the first thing I asked him was like, I I need to ask you a bunch of inappropriate questions, but I knew that I wasn't going to get proper answers. And so my answer would be, I'd like to talk to certain people, but, you know, in a, in a setting where it's one-on-one and they're going to be completely honest and truthful because I could not get the answers I wanted from Neil deGrasse Tyson because there's too many people around. Um, and uh you probably shouldn't ask me when i asked him um because i really you asked him pay. if he if he knows what shibari is didn't you <laughs> something along those lines but maybe a little a little even worse than that and not i mean that's not bad but it was just yeah it's uh, i i asked him certain things and he was just like i can't really he gave me a very pc answer about it i'm like all right mm. that's fine i know there's people around and mm. you're you're a paid guest to be here so i understand but for me if i could have the opportunity to talk to like maybe him in a private setting where he could be honest about the questions I wanted to ask him. Or I think everyone wants to sit down with like Patty, like Terry Stern or, um, you know, Jorn or Philip to and be uncanned, like a very candid conversation. Like that's, I think more important than anything else I'm, I learned because when I was talking about relationships before I'm very vulnerable with people and I have built a lot of relationships based off of being able to be very comfortable and secure myself and be vulnerable with people from the get go. And people respond by either being vulnerable back or kind of like hiding and like running away. And I've built, I've, I've just, I've created such bridges with people by being very authentic and, and, and just <laughs> very vulnerable mm-hmm. right off the bat with people and telling them things and asking them questions. So when people are vulnerable back, I think that's hugely, hugely mm-hmm. important. Okay. Um, even though it's a bit of a tangent like of like a- what I've talked to. Mm-hmm. There's some watchmakers, awesome, I to. Yeah, some watchmakers I've spoken to and I've asked them things and, and, and they've been very good at responding. And like, I, I love talking to Carrie, um, and then you have people uh like Vianney Halter and Romain Gutierrez and who are amazing people to talk to. The Gornerfeld brothers, amazing. Like you you can be very vulnerable to them, you can ask them questions and they'll be very honest with you. Um, mm. I think Stephen Forze is one of my favorite people because he talks the stories he tells at like three in the morning at like back when Basel World used to be a thing, and uh Three Kings uh would be the place everyone would go and you'd see mm. like Terry and Jordan and all the people there. Yeah, smoking cigars play. and stuff. Yeah, I yeah, everyone was smoking cigars and was chilling and hanging out and yeah. We'd be there till like three in the morning, um, talking to Stephen Forza, and he'd tell the best stories. And he's like one of the one of the coolest people to talk to and have
1: uncandid conversations about. Um, because they're very open and honest. Right. Okay. Um, number next one, number three, name a song from your playlist that you repeatedly listen to at the moment.
2: Ooh. I really like Flume, but I actually um what I really want to get hyped up, I put art bat and it, they play melodic, like progressive techno. Uh, so I put okay. Art Bat, um, a song called, uh, let me tell you what it is right now. I think it's called Hyper or something okay. like that. I'm um, take a look real quick, but it's, it's Art Bat is, they're Ukrainian DJs that do amazing. And Even though I'm into alt rock and and stuff like that, and Flume, which is, I don't even know how to describe, what Flume is, if you've heard of Flume. Um, Art Bat is, is like a DJ I've got really into recently. And okay. just from the whole Brooklyn scene, cause I'm in Brooklyn mm. and we have a whole like culture of, of like techno music and going out and whatnot and suggest, and you know, suggest shenanigans.
1: Okay. Number four, best movie ever.
2: Ooh. I'm going to, that's really hard for a long time. I thought my favorite movie was high fidelity. Um, just because I could relate to like the, the trials and tribulations of, of, of romantic relationships. Um, and there's certain movies that I've seen And there's definitely a movie I'm going to forget. There's definitely, definitely. I'm not gonna give you the right answer because there's definitely a movie that I've probably seen. I was like, that was the best movie ever. Oh, you know what it was? It was Everything, Anywhere, All at Once. I kind of feel like that's the best movie. It's my most favorite movie in recent years. And it's like one of my favorites. I think it's like- I have not even heard of these. I need to make
0: you a note.
1: Yeah, right. Everything that you're saying, I've never heard of. You haven't seen- I haven't even heard like, I haven't even seen like High Fidelity or whatever that's about. Have you seen that? Oh, High Fidelity with John Cusack. It, it's it's a great it's a great book and it's a great movie and they
2: actually came out with a TV series also for it, also great with Zoe Kravitz on the you TV. Need to show.
1: Text me those names because like but I will but, say if they're, if they're crap, I'm gonna let you know about it. <laughs> yeah, please do.
2: <laughs> High Fidelity should hold up, even though it's like a it's an old book from like uh okay. know, the old, like nineties two thousands, and they made a movie with John Cusack that was actually really good. Mm. Um, but no, it shouldn't be my favorite. Um Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um is like the breakout indie movie of the year um it's such an incredible oh, new well- movie it's a new movie that came out last year or this year maybe and it was all the rage and it's it deserves all the praise and accolades and it's better, I think and on top they just did it so well they they did it so perfectly and it explains the expanse everything of the universe and they tell it in such a well story that like wraps up beautifully having to do with. I think the the pressures that we get put on by our own family and the things that we have to be. Uh, and that that's so like they, they wrap up a whole thing with like a family narrative and an aspect of, of of people and like where we are in the world and how we respond to the pressures of like our own parents in, in Asian culture in, in this uh, movie okay in this movie okay. specifically um but it, it's also a movie about everything and just existence of of all of it and it can relate to different genres of different things that you know okay. it hit it hit a chord because of the family aspect but also because of how well they put the randomness of everything
1: into a okay okay don't ruin it, it. jeez <laughs> <laughs> like i don't need this whole synopsis <laughs> like <laughs> right, I'm going to start you off right there. Yeah, right, number... <laughs> The guy's still got to watch it, damn it. <laughs> I
2: really hope you watch it and you enjoy it. I want
1: to I, know what, okay. I wanna know what you think. All right, you got to WhatsApp me that later, right? I will. I'll send you a link, right. yeah. Yeah, number uh, five. The best thing that's ever happened to you. Oof! That's been your response for every single group. It's like, ooh. oof.
2: So I want to say the worst thing that's ever happened to me and i know that's not the that's not the question um the best thing i would say is under i mean the the best thing may have been meeting my partner um sierra or possibly the best thing would be being fortunate enough and being the the time frame to get the the 5711 tiffany stamp knowledge um, not that they rival each other, but they were both
1: two very pivotal times in my life. You but shouldn't have were... put those two together.
2: You shouldn't <laughs> have put those two together. Like she, she understands. She under she's she's a watch person too. She gets it. She would be like, that's fine. That's a good answer. I get it. That that was so important. I'm a watch you know? person, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, getting that watch was I wouldn't say it's I don't want to say it was like the best moment of my life. Um, but the worst moment of my life was when I when that watch got stolen. Mm. And that is kind of that was the worst thing to ever happen to me. And for that, I'm grateful for that to be the worst thing to ever happen to me when that happened. And i really, I think, understood gratitude over expectations because I didn't expect that to happen. But I am so grateful and so much happier today because that is the worst thing that ever happened to me.
1: Mm, which... Don't worry, there's still time.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, number six. The most beautiful place on earth, in your opinion? I haven't seen it yet. Um, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been. I want to, I want to see Japan and parts of
2: Asia and and different forests. Yeah, been to Japan? Not yet, not yet. I still need to ooh. to do that whole thing. And long I long mean, just came back.
0: From yeah, Japan? you say it, you say it like, ooh, like it's like top ten places he wants to go. But I definitely wouldn't think Japan is like nature-wise been
1: so much that's why no right? but it's like
0: switzerland <laughs> any day right if you just go on a mountain you just can't beat that no like- you're
2: not wrong switzerland is yeah. definitely like the most perfect nation like most beautiful place and yeah. and i don't hate me for saying this swiss people i'm really sorry but they're aware like because it is a little more conservative and it's a little like they're, everything's super expensive and they're they just they did it right they understand how mm. to do culture in a, in a place and it's such a beautiful place it's still a little boring it's a little too boring for me and I I might live there one day. So don't, don't kill me um, for it, but I have family there. Um, I have an aunt and cousins that live in Switzerland, So I go often and I've been going obviously for years because of the the industry. Um, But I will agree with you. It is probably one of the most beautiful places. For me personally, I love, I love tropical places. So like I would, I haven't been to the Bahamas yet, but like I've been to Costa Rica and I lived in Mexico for a little bit Mm. and it's not the most perfect place. uh, Like a, a nice Caribbean, like perfect blue water like it's like for me like most ideal
1: place that i think is most beautiful i just haven't i haven't seen it yet
2: but yeah. I, I travel a lot i look forward to, to going and finding
1: see, it like long, long you're you're pretty well traveled right where would you say I just yeah where to, should just, i go yeah you're very where should well. we go i
0: would definitely just tell everyone to go to maldives like yearly like That's what I heard. once a year because you okay. can just literally go to even a shack like the worst hotel is nice really it's just like i, I told like I just don't even think the photos and the wallpapers and whatever it just doesn't feel the same when you're there you're just like I wake up at six without an alarm because I'm excited to see what it looks like and then it's oh. just the whole day you're just like wait just let me open the door again <laughs> let me just check like you're wow. constantly like I just need to see it again and you just want to swim the whole day
1: oh my god have you been to uh Barbara?
0: No, I've, I've been checking like on YouTube, like crazy, like, how do I get there? And I'm checking all these random places because okay. I haven't done the stuff where it's like a green color lake and then you're on a canoe. I want to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hmm.
1: What,
2: about, what about yours?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I really I, I would actually say somewhere in England. Because, I'm I don't know, I just have that. this kind like, of, like... I going to be London. <laughs> 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 no offense to London. Like, it's, you know, it's a little cold. No, I've route. just, uh, perhaps, like, probably, like, the most beautiful places have been on my way to Scotland in the car. Mm. You know, an actual scenic area. Uh, I, just a particular image of mine, which is um, just looking out to the sea uh, on Land's End, which is, like, the very tip of, like, mm. England on the south and you know if you look out, look out there basically the next piece of land is America right so in a when the sun's right and you see the shimmer on the on the sea and you're on the high cliffs oh, I don't know that that feeling is hard to beat for me uh but it's it's interesting like but Long's mentioned water and water is certainly something where I think I need to have that like beauty um just the expanse of it and the ocean and the unknown quantity of it as well like i think that having said that i haven't climbed a mountain where you know i've i've seen a view probably something i would want to do actually in the future yeah that would be good hey to do that mm-hmm. huh? like, that sounds I great actually yeah but my father though my father has fortunately seen a lot of this world like he's to easter island machu picchu northern lights you know india he's been to like uh, the amazon he's been to so many places right so i i asked him the question like where is the most beautiful place and he said um i can't remember it's either tibet or if it's like in the mongolia might have been in the mongolia He just said it's just so untouched Mm -hmm. right It's just incredibly beautiful. And he's seen some amazing, I, there's not many places he hasn't been, right? So probably one of those, probably worth going to. Anyway, we go on to the next question. Um, you're from New York, right? Am I right in saying that? Or oh,
2: Brooklyn? I <clears throat> uh, Excuse me. Sorry, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn right now, but I've, grew, I've basically been in Manhattan my entire adult life and I grew up right outside the city in New Jersey. Okay. Um, and when you were talking about like the places we have been to and we've seen i i was like oh my answer should have been new york i think my favorite place to take people in new york is right outside of new york and new jersey right on the like, like right on the on the edge where you could see all of manhattan for me i think it was like the most beautiful view um just to backtrack but yeah i'm I'm from right outside the city so as soon as i could drive
1: i would drive into the city and, and uh just explore more and more of manhattan okay because that's good then because this question like is saying uh, what's the stereotype about new yorkers that is the most true <laughs> um <clears throat> i think very much that
2: people think that they're very uh cold and aggressive um i think people think that they're rude and and it's they're not wrong it's just that we're very motivated people to like you know go where we're going and do what we're going to do and say what we're going to say so um People will make fun of me because, like, they'll be like, oh, you're you're such a New Yorker because, like, if people are just standing around, like, even if, like, going on a, a subway train if people are just kind of, like, standing around and they're not moving fast enough, like, I'll be the first person to tell people to move because people hear a loud voice and they they listen. I'm like, everybody walk towards the center of the train, like, get out of the way, or, like and people will listen and people will do it. And that's just that's a New Yorker thing to do because some people just need to take control and, and like, corral people Uh, and tell people to stop crossing like a crosswalk or yell at somebody (laughs) and out of the way. And it's such a new thing, and it's so accurate because we are very much like, hey, we're we're walking here.
1: (laughs) Okay. Right. Next one is the stereotype about New Yorkers that is the least true.
2: Um, it's definitely that that uh I want to say it's the same, it's similar. It's I want to say it's like that the least true that they're rude because I think there's a, and no offense to you in LA or California, but there's always this thing that people talk about, like, in, in California, everyone's really nice, but they're actually not. And in Europe, people don't act like they're nice, but they actually are. And that's really, I think, the biggest takeaway is like, people assume that people are rude and nasty. But, like, if you were to be sincere and genuinely ask somebody, people go out of the way to give you directions to help you and do whatever they can and that's genuinely true for any new yorker you meet you you're just like hey i'm actually lost i need help and they'll stop whatever they're doing and tell you how to get to where you need to go and that's that's the honest truth about new yorkers so what you're saying is
1: like they're quite York- like an, a grumpy old man then <laughs> <laughs> right no right like not you know, you know when all- you ask them a question you get it like in a not nice way but actually there's a good heart there that's what i'm trying to say
2: yeah. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think it's being such a diverse culture. I think, especially after 9-11, after it happened, everyone like became so much more unified. And before that, New York was just such a wild west. And after that, everyone's like, we're on the same team. We're a, a, a div- a, like a huge melting pot of so many cultures, but we're all New Yorkers. So we're very much there willing to help people, especially I don't know, not from here. When we see people from outside who are coming, visiting, we're very eager, I think, to help and guide people. Mm-hmm
1: right okay last one one thing from your bucket list
2: um it's to possibly live in asia
1: oh well don't make it possibly make it happen
2: i mean it's probably gonna happen i'm gonna probably uh I where, mean, we're, where in asia um it's, so my partner has been talking about don't hold us to this she was just like why don't we go live in like south korea or like or something is she asian no, she's a redhead, but she she's been there before, and she she's a you know a tall, very attractive redhead with tattoos, and she's like, if I was there, I could probably be like a famous actor or something, because they like oh, love, yeah. they, like they love, they loved her, they like treat her like a celebrity when she was there. <laughs> I somehow lost, I lost you guys. Oh, there you are. Okay, um, the Zoom call left and disappeared. Oh, sorry. Um, um, yeah, so they treat her like a celebrity over there. So she's like, why don't we try? going over there and maybe I'll like try my hand at being a, an, a you nice. know an actor or an actress and I'm like all right I mean I can work remotely but mm-hmm. yeah I would love to live in somewhere in Asia and, and just immerse myself in the culture learn a new language and just see the culture and the way of people live on the other you know other side of the planet in different places that's always enamored me mm-hmm. so I would love to live in as many places as I can
1: right well yeah. that ends the uh, podcast and the whole two episodes with you Rob it's been a uh... A marathon i guess uh, but it's been a pleasure I appreciate it. and uh, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time um to record this podcast um yeah and to the audience thank you for listening and supporting us Um, we'll see you on the next one bye thank you thank you take care bye
0: as always thank you for listening to the waiting list podcast we hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have and if you have any questions
1: comments
2: or feedback. Feel free to reach out to us at The Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts.
1: We'll see you on the next one. Bye!